what you would essentially be seeing in the formation of the first life is a psychokinetic effect on raw materials that then brings them into a vastly improbable form. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Mind Matters. Over the past few weeks, we have been discussing intelligent design, the Holy Grail, commentary bombardment, all sorts of mysterious and interesting things that happen on this planet over millennia that are not discussed whatsoever in the mainstream. So we thought that it, since we're so interested in all of it, we would, uh, we would just start. We were just planning on doing one show, and then after... Every show so far, we've said, oh, there's this, this topic, this subject. We could talk, we could go into this. And so this week, we're going to continue based on some very interesting insights that Harrison has had, that all of us have had regarding the influence of parapsychology uh, or psi phenomenon and um, other related interesting esoteric phenomenon on the potential um, role that they play in intelligent design, evolution, and trying to get an idea for, as Harrison calls it, um, where intelligence designs, where, yeah, <laughs> where the yeah. intelligence comes in and where the design comes in, and how everything that we've been discussing from comets to uh, being like furnaces for the creation of um, extraordinarily important genetic and pre-genetic and all different sorts of material and how that, um, how that all works. You know, it's, there's, mm-hmm. it, it, there's so many different theories out there and so many different individuals, brilliant individuals have different pieces of the puzzle. So we're going to just keep on kind of putting those puzzle pieces together and, and having fun. We hope that you have fun with it as well. So Harrison, did you have, uh, did you have something in mind with where well, you yeah. wanted to go? Well, I'll start out with a, a preface, because you mentioned that a lot of these topics aren't talked about in the mainstream at all. And because we're not mainstream, that means we can talk about all of them. <laughs> this, uh, it, well, I read something today that kind of brought this dynamic out for me. There's this uh, philosopher, um, you know, academic philosopher that just published a paper or will be publishing a paper. Um, I think it's, I think it's out already, uh, a critique of evolutionary psychology. And because evolutionary psychology is big, it's kind of like an accepted thing. Everyone, everyone likes it. And uh, so she wrote this paper, just kind of critiquing it at the very foundation, basically implying, uh, if not outright stating, but she might also do that, that it's just totally bunk from the bottom up. And she can, most scholars, most academics, well, many can get away with something like that, with stepping out of the mainstream and either critiquing something or coming up with a a wacky, crazy theory, you know, that might just happen to be true. But when you look at anyone who does have an established career, usually they won't go that far. They won't push any boundaries and they'll stay within the limits of their uh, profession and the, the, accepta- the accepted bounds of, um, you know, the, the range of discourse possible within that any kind of system like that. Then you get the, the few that stray outside and we'll have kind of one crazy wacky idea, right? And they and they're and they they've done the research. They they really are convinced that there's something to it. Mm-hmm. So that enables them to go forward and to risk the um, approbation of their peers and the 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 hate and the this the smears that they will get as a result of it because they you know they feel it's the truth. So it's their job to go forward and do it. But what you often find 
in any given, well, in every field, there is someone like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to, or it's easy to miss. It's easy not to realize that within every field, there is a, a black sheep, there is a maverick or a, or just a, um, you know, a, a courageous individual that sees a problem and then points it out or, you know, well, sees a problem with an entire field or something at the very, the very foundation of some accepted, um, you know, worldview or theory or, or whatever. And that you've, so you've got, you've got these people in every field and you, well, oftentimes when you read things, even in this current climate, when you're the, the idea of scientific authority is kind of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And you'll often see statements like the experts agree or everyone, everyone agrees with this. It's never true. There are always a minority of varying, you know, it might be a tiny minority or a small minority or a substantial minority of people that, of experts who disagree mm-hmm. and that nothing is ever that simple. You'll only, f- you'll only find consensus in uh, a group of people. And it's usually around some kind of general, um, something very general, like an overall theory. You'll get a general consensus among most biologists that, you know, Darwinism is the answer that evol- that random mutation and natural selection answer all the questions. When you get into any of the, all of the details, most people disagree. You, you, you won't often find a, a total consensus on every scientific result. And I mean, scientific debate can be quite contentious and, combative 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 um within those fields and and then scientists themselves can be quite snipey at each other and uh quite kind of backstabbing and and petty it's uh, pretty common but coming back to this idea of the of these rogues in these fields Oftentimes, they just have one idea. They're just rogue on one idea. Mm-hmm. Now, when you add all of them together, <laughs> then you've got like the anti-worldview of, the, of the, the mainstream scientific establishment because you've got this one over here that's opposite this idea or that directly contradicts it, this one over here, this one over here. Well, what if we just got rid of that entire circle of the, the mainstream accepted academic view of the world and took all of the ones on the boundaries? You know, what would that world look like? And um, I mean, it's not like we plan to do that on the outset, but it, that, that's probably a picture of kind of where we're at is mm-hmm. f- f- when it comes to most mainstream things, we have found ourselves taking the, um, the road less traveled, let's say. And so today we're just going to be mashing a bunch of those ideas together. Uh, we started last week and just to give a summary of some of the relevant ideas for last week. Um, so that, you don't have to watch that show if you haven't, but we encourage you. Well, of course to you so. should. Yes. Why wouldn't Absolutely. you? <laughs> um, we were talking about comets and, uh, like you said, the prebiotic and like biological material found in various types of space matter. Mm-hmm. And one idea that was kind of, I think we kind of briefly alluded to it in the last show, but never really got into it in detail, is an idea that has been presented by another black sheep maverick uh, Jim McCanny in his, some of his self-published books on comets and kind of his electrical universe type theory on the nature of comets. And one of the, one of the ideas he presents, which I think is interesting, um, I don't know if it's the, if it's the total answer um, yet. I don't know if 
if uh, I don't know, well, I, I'm I'm not familiar with all the evidence he he uses to support it. Like I knew I know from just recently listening to some Randall Carlson stuff that you know they've done various spectro spectro something analyses of <laughs> spectrometric i don't know of the of comet comas and like the presence of certain um kind of organic chemistry in in space rocks of these sorts what ca- what McCanny suggests is that the coma of a comet is actually basically electrically ignited it's like uh, it's like burning plasma and within that that kind of electrically charged environment that lights up the sky so dramatically and often to, you know, like millions of size, the actual uh, cometary body and the inside, the coma is, can be like as big as the sun for a body, like a a comet that's relatively tiny um, in comparison, that that, that area right behind the comet is almost like, like you described, like a furnace, like a chemical factory of some sort where, weird stuff happens because um in this type of plasma it's the the way i see it um is it's almost like a a random it's almost like a natural random number generator like there's random processes going on in this kind of this plasma mix of you know protons and and electrons and then and all the materials that all the other materials that kind of become part of this like the gas cloud of this comet and I, just, I suspect weird stuff can happen in that kind of environment where um, it almost, the, the way I picture it now, this is totally unscientific, but the way I picture it is almost like in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the, uh, what's the, what's their spaceship called? Zephod Beeblebroxes. It's the, the, the improbability drive yeah. of the, whatever the name of the spaceship is. It's like w- weird, improbable things can happen mm-hmm. in a random environment. Because one of the things we were talking about last week is that, in the history of evolution, it seems like there's these punctuated um, or these punctuations in the evolutionary history where, you know, things go, things are pretty boring and routine for a while. And then there's, you know, something amazing happens and and either an extinction or a, an explosion of or a mass extinction or an explosion of new life forms like in the Cambrian. And it seems like I don't think anyone has yet come up with a good explanation for why this, why the evolutionary, the history of uh, of all species of the history of life on this planet is like that. Um, according to just basic Darwinism, it should be a relatively, a relatively stable growth or, you know, evolution or, um, or devolution, you know, we should be getting successively dumber and, and, uh, less evolved. Well, you'd think it would be one or the other, but instead it's these rapid, you know, catastrophic changes one way or the other. So it seems that, what you would need, or it seems that if that's the case, that something special would have happened in these special times to to kind of bring about these rapid and um, you know grand changes. So what we were talking about last week is that you need basically you know a specific context, you need materials, and then you need like the the right specific environment going on, like a momentary environment. This might be the like the em burst from a, a fireball or a cometary impact just where the the chemical nature of the environment changes so ra- so so um rapidly and to such a large degree and so strangely or and so to something so out of the ordinary that something new is then possible for whatever reason so maybe there's something about like the electromagnetic 
um, signature of these events that allows things to happen. And I think we describe that as kind of like a window. It's like a weird something when you change when you when you change something to that degree so out of the ordinary that then that is where new stuff happens because that's the that's the new environment maybe that is the context necessary for this type of change to occur something to do with electromagnetics perhaps and um and just the the new environment caused by these extreme events mm-hmm. these epic um epic catastrophes or um whatever the opposite of a catastrophe would be so something like that might be happening in comet tails where the, it might actually generate certain of these materials like to, to form amino acids or some other type of prebiotic material essential for the formation of life. Um, it might not be that it just <clears throat> was on some planet, gets picked up, um, gets ejected from some bombardment there into space and then gets, then hitches a ride to another solar system. It might be that some of these, are actually generated in in space in in uh, in comet comas, just like well, not just like, but similar to how stars, the, the formation of stars generates you know the first whatever twenty six elements of the of the periodic table. Um, something similar might be going on on a higher level of chemistry, actually putting those building blocks together in in pretty basic forms. Um, but it, well, maybe maybe not. That's just a uh, and I, an idea that pops into head after reading some of Jim McCanny's stuff and, you know, tying it into a few other things. Um, but I guess, so one idea to add into the mix, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, have to be the source, but it may be at least, uh, a possible source for some of the material needed for, uh, for the, Origins of life, let's say. Well, I, I think I seem to remember you mentioning uh, something along the lines of like some quantum um, that McCanny theorized that there was some quantum um, process that was yeah. occurring due to the the sheer um, energy and all, all everything, all the randomness and craziness going on. That there was that that is where that that window that we were talking about could kind of open is when there's uh, in within that the comet coma. Yeah, you, was, well, was that is that accurate? Well, it might be. Um, it's been a f- several years since I read McCanny, and I'm no physicist or chemist, so I can't remember <laughs> uh, if I, you know, if that was it. I can't remember the details and wouldn't be able to, uh, wouldn't be able to reproduce them. But I think that's that might be right. Is you know some kind of because there's going to be quantum stuff going on, um, just like there is everywhere at all times. But there might be a special environment in that case, in this kind of plasma, so that there is something on that level on that level going on. But even just the, you know, if we take if we go outside of the realm of strict quantum mechanics to the a bit more of the popularized version of it, it's like you have a you can have a, a quantum effect that's similar to some of the actual quantum effects on that subatomic level that you see on a macro level, like you you might see. Um, um, well, a, a quantum effect, as in like a, a rapid sh- or an instantaneous shift in levels that's discontinuous that doesn't go through the through the 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 space in between essentially you jump from one state to another state mm-hmm. kind of like a fa- a phase shift but mm-hmm. a phase shift shift um not in terms of you know solid liquid and gas or plasma but um a, a shift um in order perhaps you know a shift because that's essentially what you what you see in um a lot of atomic or subatomic processes like the like electron orbitals you see jumps you see um discontinuous phenomena where 
um, things aren't smooth and going from one to the other like Darwinian evolution. Things come in jumps, in leaps. So there may be, so that would be a good way of describing this hypothesized or theorized mechanism going on in comet tails is that there it's a place where quantum leaps are generated in the organization of basic chemistry so that you might have a, like a jump a jump from the collection of raw materials into all of these amino acids for instance and it kind of it will it might look instantaneous when you observe it but there's some i don't know there's some weird stuff going on um and that might well, that, re- that actually relates to the question you asked that we were kind of puzzling over is, um, like we discussed last week in, in terms of intelligent design, one of the things we brought up is that the intelligent design people um, only go so far because they've got their own um, agenda or their own purpose. You know, I'm not, I don't say agenda in, a, in a, like a mean way. It's like they've got their purpose, what they want to do. They want to present uh, a scientifically, uh, a good scientific theory for um for intelligent design basically that the the science this is what the science suggests we're not going any further than the science suggests it's basically where we hypothesize uh, that intelligence is necessary for the creation of intel of information um, whether that be in genetic information or um, body form uh, body plan information or there's any form of biological information so that's as far as they go but they but they stop at the level of, well, how that actually happens, or how that actually happened. What are some what are some possibilities for how that might have actually occurred? Was it literally some um, some physical being that had a lab and brewed up these life forms in their lab? You know, was it so um, was it so similar to our environment? You know, are are there lab technicians that are brewing up life forms essentially or is it or for some of the more religious ones was it you know god himself or jesus that did this and if so how they don't go there because that's you know i guess an unscientific question it's something that they don't really want to speculate on it but on because again these are oftentimes scientists biologists biochemists that are within their field coming out with their one radical idea and one radical idea is enough for anyone who's professional because the more radical ideas you tag onto that, the less credibility you get and the more, the more haters you have and the more, the more attacks you have to fend off. So let, let, they'll just stick to one, okay? We're, this is our crazy idea. We're going to limit our craziness to this and just kind of bracket off everything else. So mm-hmm. I've never really seen anyone um, try to put some more ideas together and say, well, how, how actually would this happen? Because they've got a, the intelligent design people would have a good response to the idea of some alien lab technician brewing up life. It's like, okay, well that doesn't really answer the question because where did the alien lab technician come from? Well, fair enough. Um, so it's kind of, it just pushes the question out there, um, further back. But if there's something weirder going on, well, what would actually happen? So let's say you've got the, you've got the planet earth before any life forms are on it. What, what would it look like when the first cell, the first single-celled organism appeared? Where does it come from? No, did it drop from space? Did it just some? Um, when observing that situation, what would appear? Would it just appear to come out of nowhere? Um, does it transfer? Does it transmit or transfer through from some other dimension? Like what's going on there? Um, so that's kind of the 
one of the questions that we want to look at today is what is a possible or wh- how, to, how to phrase this? What is at least one possible factor that might be involved in that process? Mm-hmm. And that's where you brought it up earlier. Um, the, the idea of psi or parapsychology comes into play. Now, to get, it might seem like a leap, <laughs> you know, if, you, if, you've ne- if you're not familiar with a lot of these ideas, but to give a little background, one of the th- one of the good arguments that Stephen Meyer, one of the intelligent design guys, puts forward is what he calls the um, the inference to the best explanation. So he was looking for um, for basically a, a way to formulate what he the, the arguments he was making in the kind of the the, the vague maybe perhaps vague um, unarticulated arguments he had at the time or unarticulated um, just way of framing those arguments trying to figure out what the best way to do that would be what the best way trying to figure out the best way to do that within kind of known scientific um, practice. And this is what he came up with because even Darwin himself and a lot of the like geologists at the time, they have this idea of, well, and currently today too, this idea of scientific naturalism. And one of the premises of that, or one of the, one of the ways of arguing within that, that kind of that limited worldview is what he calls the inference to the best explanation. If you're going to explain a phenomenon that is current in the present time, then the only options, the only real options you have are the causes that can bring that about in the present. So we can't basically scientists can't very well hypothesize some strange new causal phenomena or old cosmic phenomena or causal phenomenon going on in the past that we are unaware of today Um, because we don't see it. We don't have any evidence that it actually exists. So what are the causal processes that we can see today that can explain what happened in the past? Um, One example he gives just, just for how this works on a kind of mundane level is like fingerprint analysis. If you find a fingerprint and it matches some other guy's fingerprint, and that happened in the so something happened in the past. You find this fingerprint at a at a crime scene. The inference to the best explanation um, is that that fingerprint belonged to this guy, and either his thumb touched it, or his thumb touched something that was then copied and planted on there in order to frame him. I mean, those are the two basic explanations. There's no other explanation for how that specific fingerprint got there. It didn't just appear out of nowhere, or maybe it did, but that's a whole other question. Um, <laughs> So you use the known causes, which is that guy's fingerprint and the, the fact that fingers leave fingerprints mm-hmm. to explain that thing that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. So in, the ter- in terms of the creation and origin of information, Stephen Meyer argues, is that the only, the only known cause that we have for the creation of new information is intelligence. Therefore, the origin of life and the origin of genetic and biological information must have been intelligence. So that's as far as he goes. And coming back to our mystery, as if that isn't a big enough mystery, is, okay, well, let's, let's now assume that it is intelligence. Well, how does that intelligence operate on what? The, the matter in existence, the, the raw material, the stuff from comets, or the stuff that's just present on a planet that ha- happens to be... Um, um, happened to be what's what's the best way to put it? 
Um, luckily, it happened to have a lot of luck in its component parts in order to have all of the material necessary for that leap, that quantum leap to from the level of basic chemistry to biochemistry. So we can phrase the question, well, what is the only known what is the, the only known cause or means of organizing matter, of bringing order to matter, of injecting information into matter that we know of? What is the, that only, what is the only known cause that does that that we know of in the absence of a physical being actually doing so? And that's kind of a tricky question because you have to... So, it, well, it might it's not be controversial. Yeah. <clears throat> well, to just blurt it out there, <laughs> the only known cause that we know of that does that is psychokinesis. Mm-hmm. So, what is psychokinesis? Well, it's the the action of a mind on matter without any physical means of affecting that matter, of having of having an effect on that matter. So, this is why we said that um, we'll just take a whole bunch of of um, controversial ideas not accepted by the mainstream and mash them all together because arguably psychokinesis is a real phenomenon. Um, I think that any serious scientist that has looked at it that didn't have a, an agenda or uh, an extreme bias has come to the conclusion or does come to the conclusion that there is something real going on here. Mm-hmm. And let me just interrupt you really quick. Um, just take a quick, just a quick break from, from that and just, um, let the uh, the audience know that uh, I think one of the best books that I've ever read on parapsychology was by uh, Dr. James Carpenter's First Sight, because he goes through and he critically analyzes you know decades worth of scientific studies on every different kind of uh, you know from telekinesis to psychokinesis. And he attempts to lay out an elaborate theory that's grounded in all of the available data that takes into account all of the data. And so for anyone out there who is wondering, you know, well, that seems like kind of a leap, I would highly recommend getting that book, ordering that book, and reading it. And and by the time that you're done with that, I think that the pieces of the puzzle will have clicked into place, and you'll, and you'll really begin to see that, okay, yes, um, you know, one of the... Um, that, you know, the, one of the controversial aspects of intelligent design is the is the nature of intelligence, and you know, is is na- is intelligence only embodied in in physical forms that are like the ones like you and your neighbor, and that the highest form of intelligence is basically getting your PhD in whatever. Um, correct. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that the answer is is that's. Well, you know that it's still it's still controversial, but intelligence in and of itself seems to have a much broader mm-hmm. and more um, fundamental uh, existence mm-hmm. in this in this universe, and that it, there are aspects to ourselves that um, that we pick up on just on human na- like just daily human life. We you know you get gut instinct, you get gut feelings. Your gut tells you to do this. You're you're picking up information from places. Mm-hmm. And you're processing it in ways that that is not just nuts and bolts, you know, cause and effect, logical, you know, and and it's not just uh, emotional, uh, like limbic system based uh, drives mm-hmm. that are animal, more or less animal nature, but that there are higher intelligent uh, drives as well. And so, I would highly recommend reading that book, getting that book, and bef- and then I'll. 
hand that back off to Harrison. Well, we did the first two shows on our channel were on that book on James Carpenter's show. So if you go to our videos Mm -hmm. on our channel and just scroll to the very bottom, those first two videos are on first sight. Mm -hmm. So, um, if you, if you don't want to get the book, then watch the videos and then get the book because, because you'll want to after that. Um, another, well, there are a couple different approaches like, um, James Carpenter in that book, he's a psychologist. So he, he is focusing on the, um, on the parapsychological research. And like Corey said, he's got all of it in there. You know, he's probably, he probably cites every major and minor study that's been done on all these various phenomena over the decades. And, uh, well, and research like this has been going on for over a hundred years, maybe 150 years by now, um, from serious scientists. And then you get philosophers like uh, Stephen Browdy, who has uh, another kind of contemporary writer, who has several books, one <clears throat> specifically on uh, on psychokinesis. If you just search Stephen Browdy, I believe P-H, and his last name's B-R-A-U-D-E, um, he's got good work on that too. And then there's guys like uh, Dean Radin. Dean Radin's pretty good as far as he goes. Uh, his, first one, his first couple books, like uh, I think one was called The Conscious Universe. And um, then there's another book by Richard Broughton. Um, I believe it's just called Parapsychology. Um, might be a, um, a longer title, but all of these kind of, the, well, those ones are basically, you can look at the, look to them for more introductions to all these phenomena. Carpenter's is the best analysis or it's the best synthesis of them because he actually comes up with a theory that puts all of the, all of the results together in something that makes sense, um, that coheres together in one kind of one whole. Um, whereas none of the other writers tend to do that. It's pretty much here's all the different bits of evidence, but with no kind of overarching theory that puts them all together. But one of the, one of the things, one of the the bits of research that has come out from this endeavor is uh, specifically in psychokinesis is this idea of the, the mind affecting random processes, bringing order to random processes. So oftentimes in these research, in this kind of research, they'll use random number generators and basically it's essentially a, um, a high-tech coin flip. And if you, one of the principles of, of information and probability is that if you flip a coin, the, the more times you flip, flip a coin, the less and less probable it is that you're going to continue to get heads. So you're, you're not going to flip a million heads in a row. It's just not going to happen. Um, and at a, at a certain point, I don't, I don't know what the number is. I can't remember off the top of my head, but at a, at a certain point, there's a number of flips where if you were flipping that coin for the entire duration or hypothesized duration of the entire universe, where you wouldn't get that number past that number of flips. Like if you had billions of years of flipping like 10 times a second, then you might get randomly a stretch of however many uh, heads in a row. But any more than that, it's just, it's beyond the, the probabilistic, um, how do they put it? Um, it's beyond the probabilistic resources of the entire universe, basically. So what psychokinesis is or demonstrates is the ability of the mind to affect essentially probabilities and to bring an order to randomness or perceived randomness that is out of the ordinary. So, for instance, in a in a in a digital coin flip, in a random number number generator, or in a um, in variations of these types of experiments, you might have something that you, where you expect a fifty fifty probability, 
and with a good subject or even all subjects combined and then analyzed at a kind of meta analytic from a meta 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 analytic perspective or in a meta analysis then you see that oh a whole bunch of people or one individual gets like 51%, 52%, 53%. And at a certain point, the deviation from the expected 50-50% is way beyond chance. Like, you know, billions to one or millions to one where you wouldn't expect to see these results um, just if nothing was going on, that there does seem to be something going on. And because of the use of these random number generators, and I think some of these random, generator, ge- random number generators operate on quantum principles, but basically that makes more clear perhaps what is actually going on in psychokinesis is that it, it is a transfer of information or an, uh, uh, like a non-physical, like remote, non-local effect on random processes. But basically, or like I said before, bringing order to chaos, there is... Um, on, on that level, on that non-physical level, there is an effect. And, you, and that is essentially what people trying to understand the origin of life and the origin of DNA are looking for. Something that can take either random, a, a random mixture of chemical like components and put them together in an organized form that will, that will, that will then be life, essentially. Mm-hmm. What the origin of life is, I suspect, is a a vastly improbable, um, you know, instantaneous quantum leap collection and amalgamation and ordering of the the necessary uh, raw materials, essentially. So, the hypothesis is that just like intelligence is an, is the unknown is the only known cause of information that psychokinesis would be the only known means of a mind creating that in the absence of um, a pre-existing physical form mm-hmm. essentially because you you need to like like we like i just said earlier you can't just keep pushing the problem back of a physical form creating a physical form because eventually you have to try to explain what the what where the first physical form came from but if we go back to our last show on where we where I read that bit from Rumi, if you take a more metaphysical approach um, or uh, an approach adopted by more and more philosophers these days, philosophers these days, like one a ver a variation of one sort or another of panpsychism, then you can start with the idea that well. Well, matter itself isn't the the fundamental constituent of the universe. Consciousness is at the root. In, information is at the root. Information is at a level below the expression of information in the form of physics and chemistry. Um, and on the to get like to to adopt the more mystical expression of it is that consciousness is at the root of everything. That mind is fundamental is fundamental. So if mind is fundamental, then the means of ordering that basic raw chemistry would be an effect of the mind on the chemistry, on the raw materials, uh, a direct influence, but a non-local influence. So what you, do, what, you, what you would essentially be seeing in the formation of the first life is 
a psychokinetic um, psychokinetic effect on raw materials that then brings them into a vastly improbable form. This is why I like the the image of the improbability drive from Hitchhiker's Guide because it's a because it's silly and uh, and funny. But there's an idea there that uh, that is uh, there's something to that idea. Mm-hmm. It might not be well the random the the improbability drive is in itself almost like a random process, and that's why it's funny because it randomly creates vastly improbable things that would require intelligence in order to to bring about. But because it's in this in the form of this inert um, uh, improbability drive, it it just makes the gag work. But for that to actually work, or a, a way of having that actually work would just be to have a super intelligence doing it, a super intelligence with a very refined psychokinetic ability. Well, and that's uh, does that make sense? Well, it, it does. It makes sense, and it's analogous to our own personal experience uh, in life. Is that you? you can see that there are exponential differences between in intelligence between different species uh you know you're you're out on the farm and you you know you're domesticating cattle you have cattle that is a you know it has an intelligence and uh, you know a, for, a form of sentience but the the human um farmer has vastly more intelligence and so they can um engineer them and alter them in ways that are beneficial for the human, for humanity's survival. And you, it's theoretically plausible, I mean, just based on common sense and, you know, just deductions based on your own observations, that there are intellig- there's an intelligence uh, exponentially greater than mm-hmm. humanity that is capable of potentially of seeding life, uh, you know, within that furnace, as you said, and allow, you know, directing the, the growth in, in some way, um, potentially through, like you were discussing earlier, massive, um, massive die-offs and massive changes, just like a conveyor belt. You know, you've got the, uh, you know, you've got a team engineering all of the different acids. Like, hey, okay, we want this. We're gonna need to. We want to create something that's like this. You know, and you're like, oh, okay, we, we, it's this kind of gravity. It's this temperature. This, this, and that. So, okay, there's this. Um, like you, I'm, I'm thinking that you know, the how it is how it's working is that there's some sort of psychokinetic interdimensional transfer from of information of organizing information that is injected into places like a you know a comet's tail or you know something like that and or an through that window yeah. yeah through that that window of opportunity that's inherent within that vastly. Um, random electromagnetic, extremely you know volatile environment, and then you, you can direct things and create things if within that, and then you know just whatever through the, whatever law, whatever mechanism directs that towards uh, a planet, it delivers the payload, and then from there you know you get to see how well you designed this all of this stuff, and it hits. And now these organisms are able to, you know, okay, so now they're going to take off. They're going to start doing their thing. And they do their thing, do their thing, do their thing. And then another payload drops off. And now you see the emergence of what we could call is, you know, like the first intelligent life or the first life forms that uh, we would recognize as being of life. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then on and on. And then it can keep going and keep going. And then there's massive die-offs. 
It's like, well, this one didn't work because, you know, it's egotistical (laughs) and it creates just radically horrible, like, living situations for all of its, you know, fellow beings. And it's, you know, and then, you know, drives, it destroys itself, basically. So now we'll have to try again and try again. But there, like you discussed on last week's show, um, there's in the mind of this intelligence is this ideal and the entire process of life that we see, you know, working its way up from, you know, just very simple plants and animal to human is like there's some ideal that's being striven for. And it might be to to gain that kind of intelligence, that quantum jump in, that you were talking about in order for that next that species to be able to do that itself and mm-hmm. then to also get to join in on the fun and the games of being um you know caretakers or stewards of mm-hmm. of different uh, life forms yeah and that reminds me of a couple of things that were brought up last week i quoted or i summarized a bit from john bennett mm-hmm. his book masters of wisdom and what you're talking about is this the the evidence of a kind of grand experimentation that's going on that we are the experiment that life on this planet is the experiment and it is like the most complex and like wonderful and frightening and horrible and and wonderful experiment imaginable going on billions of years and that for bennett he saw for him it was just plain common sense um it was just well immediately evident upon looking at life and what we know of it is that this is this there are signs of experimentation what the what the the ev- what we see as the evolution of organisms uh, of species and as these great die-offs and and as these explosions of new body plans what we and what the darwinist sees as this kind of random um random emergence of 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 these new forms and the die-offs of them mm-hmm. is actually um, ex- an experiment is actually a sign of experimentation, injecting new forms and new ideas and new and new life in order to see not only how it works, but if it if it achieves a certain goal. Oh well, this life needs this now, or or what would life be like with this new element involved? Mm-hmm. And the second idea that it reminds me of is that for this to happen, it requires a super intelligence. This isn't something that any even any of the brightest minds of of humanity could engage in because again like bennett pointed out the the systems are too complex the system of interrelationships is extremely intricate and the relationships go down to all levels like the the relationships like the 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 only reason your body is able to function is because of this intricate inter um interaction between all of these systems in your body all of these cells and when you get down to uh, progressively through all these levels of the body to the very bottom the the, the amount of complexity well, and the amount of stuff we don't even know about mm-hmm. which makes it even more complex is just staggering so there is signs that this mu- that the the only the only cause of this must have been first of all a super intelligence and that it is experimenting mm-hmm. and that does that there that might that word itself might conjure up um like nefarious ideas in in listeners minds oh we're just an experiment well no we are an an experiment doesn't have to be just um sinister experiment i mean experiments are for can be to um well for the purposes of 
discovery or of achieving great ends or of uh, of just like curiosity on its highest level mm-hmm. it's the the play of creation and the the play of intelligence and um so but there are both aspects to it right there is a terrible aspect to it of life itself and there may even be a sinister aspect to the mm-hmm. to the experimentation mm-hmm. um we don't know who all of these super intelligences are or if they're competing super intelligence with different agendas no yeah that's uh that's a really good way of putting it. And as you're, you're talking, I'm thinking of another analogy. Um, as you're discussing all of the different forms that life takes and all these different little attempts to create new life forms and this and that. And there's something, um, I think, really remarkable about the different systems that are kept. You know, I don't know how many systems have been abandoned in the history of life on Earth, but in order to have a, an eyeball or a brain, or to be able to receive uh, light waves and information and, and decode them and be able to read them and understand them, and to be able to automatically react to them, to have stomachs, and then, you know, from the very first stomach, then became, uh, the, the brain was, you know, engineered, and it, it just kept going and going. There's all these different systems that you can see. Um, there, some are maybe haphazardly um, built on older systems, but it's because of the, the just the sheer volatility you know of life and all of these different things that are that are working together almost like too marvelously you know it's like you you we are completely blind to the 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 small miracles you know mm-hmm. i guess you could say engineering yeah. marvels of the of the simplest things like the flagellum on the bacteria mm-hmm. but all of these different um all these different systems are, are they're, they're kept and in humanity you see i mean who knows how many different um, codes, uh, you know, from different species, just like a little splice of that, a splice of this, a splice mm-hmm. of that, and voila, now you have a, a hairless, you know, bipedal, <laughs> you know, loud, obnoxious, <laughs> whatever, um, that's capable of, you know, grasping, you know, grasping and manipulating and and creating for itself. Um, and it's, you know, I, I just can't help but think of the, the evolution of the, the automobile, you know, from the old, 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 old day, you know, even before like Model Ts and, you know, all of those that, you know, it's, you gotta, you gotta work the windshield with your hand, you gotta start it with a crank or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's just this ingenuity to create um, an engine that, you know, is based on, uh, you know, this combustion engine. And that, you know, then you take that and you're like, okay, we'll add some wheels onto this, you know, we'll take the, you know, the wagon design and we'll add some wheels onto this and see how that works. And then, you know, just flash forward through time and now we're we're living in a world where cars are going to be driving us you know pretty soon because of the sheer ingenuity of um of vast of a vast number of researchers and engineers uh, who you know design these things for just i mean some people like you know, like i don't need a car that can drive myself mm-hmm. and nobody i can't think of anybody who in their right mind would now want a car that drives itself but i'm i'm not i'm you know, i've seen how people drive and i might be tempted <laughs> to say that i would trust lots of cars more than most drivers yeah. most human drivers um so there's a you know you can see the the evolution you take these systems okay these things work and now we can improve on this and we improve on that. And then more information comes in from related fields, from different minds who see the problem in new ways. It's like, okay, so now we could put a computer in there. And now the computer could actually tell the engine when to fire so that now we can save gas and we can actually increase the power of an engine because it's gonna, the computer is going to tell the spark plug that at this precise 
millisecond, you should fire. And then that will increase the power of the engine, you know, whatever, just tiny a bit. But, you know, you see this intelligence being put into the vehicle and you see the change that the vehicle has made. Um, and then, you know, then you look at my car and you see the what random mutation <laughs> has done to it and you and you know you're like okay yes um you know i'm i'm completely done with that whole you know random mutation kind of that kind of stuff yeah. it's it's so clearly and obviously it was a fad it was respectable to be a, a darwinist because you'd say ah, i don't believe in god and, and this and that and i understand why so many countless biologists you know, have 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 taken it and ran with it because it was respectable. It was fashionable at the time. But people, let's just get done. Let's just be done with it. It's the science is in. Get you know, get read up on the material and and just get with the program, right? Let's put that that uh, beast to bed. Well, I was just thinking about uh, what you were talking about, Corey, and and just the the sheer complexity of of all that is uh, within an ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So it, there's the um, the sheer amount of complexity within one system within itself. Mm-hmm. But then you're not just, when you look around you, you're not just looking at just one system right. or just one individual thing. You know, we're not just, uh, and, and even then, like, there is no thing that is a thing unto itself. Like, each organism is dependent upon mm-hmm. all of these other different organisms in a very real way, such as, like, the bacteria in your gut. Mm-hmm. So it, you can't even think of it in the way of like, you know, one man being on the moon or something like that. It's it's totally impossible. Yeah. And so, again, trying to uh, come at it from that from that angle of a, of a random mutation, you're you're not talking about just one creature or one thing. This is this is so infinite, infinitely complex that mm-hmm. it, it's it's utterly it's utterly absurd and then also what you, you were saying earlier, uh, Harrison, about the the inference to the best explanation. Well, I think that's a great approach to just look at what's going on around you and try to infer from that and based on that what what potential possibilities there are for, for why things are the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And the only logical conclusion then is that there is some kind of intelligence at work here. Um, you know, it could be nefarious, it could be beneficial, um, just like within the scientific communities as they exist yeah. today. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And some take, mad scientists. Yes. Yeah. And then take a look at your car. And as soon as you drove it off the parking, off the lot, did, did it start to gain in value because of all the random mutations that started <laughs> to happen to it? No, it's breaking down and, you know, it's going to be in a junk heap within, you know, 10 years. Mm-hmm. But you look at the, the life forms that you see all around us and you think, like you were saying here, and this has been going on for billions and billions of years. This is not just random haphazard stuff uh, going on. Mm-hmm. And the I like the example of the car, the the vehicle, because there's a principle there too, and there seems to be a almost like universal laws or principles of creation of intelligent of intelligent design or just design itself, because all design is intelligent. And that is that if you look at the car, the car developed as almost like an accretion and and intelligent mutation of the existing model. So you have your first car, the first guy that managed to put together a working vehicle, and then everything else is kind of based on that. No one totally reinvented the car. Well, if you, if they did, it's a different vehicle. It's not known as a car, but every car we know on, know of today and that we experience today is kind of traces its 
its lineage back to those first cars that were developed, that first one car. Well, and to the the idea of that car in the first car inventor's imagination. So you see a similar thing in life as you were describing all these components and splicing in a little bit of this species and that species is that each each new creation is built on the the model of the previous ones with some new stuff. It's like, okay, well, we've got this model. Well, how can we change it? Oh, well, let's take a little bit of that. Or I've got this idea, this new idea that isn't present in any of the other ones. What if I do that? But I was inspired by all these things because I realized that we're, we're lacking that all of these suggest a third possibility that doesn't exist yet. So let's try that third possibility. Mm-hmm. So you get all of this new stuff coming in too. And that's how we have the cars that we have today. It's all the new stuff that was added on to the old stuff, but using that, that first basic uh, body plan, that first, that first um, schematic mm-hmm. of that first car, mm-hmm. everything kind of comes from that. And so you see, you were talking about the, the systems that have, pre- have been preserved throughout the, throughout Time. And one of them is the cell itself. It's like every organism is cell-based. Every, well, it's kind of a, it's kind of circular. Every cell-based organism is cell-based, but that is one component that has been, that is preserved entirely. And it's not like the cell shape itself, the cell form is not transmitted genetically. It's, it's also a form of information because if you think, if you think about it, you've got the, the cell with the genetic material in it. When you get a new organism, the cell splits the cell, the cell shape itself is a direct descendant of the previous cell. It's not like the, ge- the, the genetics, the DNA, creates a new cell from nothing. You have this line of cells that goes back to the first cell. So you have this, again, that's kind of like this basic plan. That's one of the most fundamental um, shared characteristics among life is, this, is the cell body. And there are other there are other things like uh, there are other systems like that too that get preserved. So you have in every species too you have genes that are that never change. You have certain certain um, body forms and body um, body parts and body systems that never change. It's kind of like that that um, that basic that necessary basic schematic that everything needs to be built on top of because if you mess with any of the basic code then the whole thing goes to hell mm-hmm. um and you, you we some scientists some research like um experiments have shown this when they try to uh, manipulate or like mutate a certain gene it always leads to disaster because that's one of those one of those basic um most basic units that allows the organism to function at all you can't change it and that's that in itself is a kind of weird thing in Darwinism because you'd you'd think that anything could change, but there are some things that no, you, they can't change at all. They're very basic, very fundamental to the organism, and those are those. They're like you know certain parts of the car that have come down through the ages from the first prehistoric Ford. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for us. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed, or we all hope that you enjoyed the show, and that uh, we'll put a link to all of the relevant reading material below in the in the show description. But other than that, uh, please join us again next week. And if you haven't already, please hit like and subscribe. Share it wherever you share your social media stuff. And have a fantastic week, and design intelligently. Bye-bye.